Hey, New River Church family. This December, join us for a special Advent series on the New River Church podcast, where we're diving into the season with the message of Jesus, bringing hope, love, joy, and peace. For more info, check out newriverchurch.org. Let's celebrate the season and share the gospel together. Hey, if you have your Bible, head over to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Shifting gears from the book of Psalms, but then not kind of, really, because this is a, a New Testament psalm that we're going to look at today. Luke 1, uh, 46 to 55 will be our food from the Lord this morning. Luke 1, 46 to 55. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. All right. God's word reads like this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. For, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is God's word. Why don't we pray again? Father, Lord, your word, just, we just read, it says, he has filled the hungry with good things. So, Lord, would you do that this morning for us as we come with hungry hearts, empty hands. Your word says, open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. And so, Lord, do that this morning as we open our hearts before you. Fill it with the bread of heaven, uh, fresh, fresh bread from your oven, from your very hand into our soul and our heart. Do it, we pray, as, now as we commit uh, this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we finished our series in the Psalms, like I said, and now we are in what the church calendar calls Advent. Advent is the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas Day. Advent, the word Advent, is actually from the Latin. It means coming or arrival. And so on the one hand, Advent has kind of two aspects to it. On the one hand, you have aching and longing and waiting, and in that sense, we are a people marked by longing as we are in this exiled in this world that's full of tears. We, we ache, we long, we all, we all long for, for this world, to, the war to give away to peace, amen? There's war, and there's tension in our families that we are hoping to resolve. We want everything, we long for everything sad to come untrue, as Tolkien would say. Advent says, that's long, there's longing there. On the other hand, Advent also says, joy has arrived. Amen. 
and we are not abandoned. And so these few weeks together as we lead up to Christmas, we're going to focus on Advent, on that aspect, well, both aspects, but uh, specifically this aspect of Advent being the arrival of joy. And when we say joy, we mean a deep-rooted, down-in-the-deepest-recesses-of-your-soul kind of joy that goes beyond circumstances, beyond achievements, beyond where we're at, and then we sense God is with us no matter what in the midst of our longing. That's the kind of joy we want, right? And so today we have actually the first Christmas carol, technically, right? It's uh, the Latin, in the Latin there's the word called the Magnificat. That's what they call the song of, Mary's song of praise here, the Magnificat. Uh, it just, just means it magnifies. They, they take that from the word uh, magnifies in verse 46. And in this, we see God's heart for us. And then when we see him and his heart for us, deep joy results. But it doesn't happen the way we think it should. So Mary's going to teach us how we really do find joy. And I got one big idea this morning, and unfortunately, it does not mean a shorter sermon, sorry. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's the big idea is from the uh, Christmas hymn, that I've been one of the hymns I've been listening to, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. There's a great line in it. It says, Jesus, you are the joy of every longing heart. Jesus is the joy of every longing heart. So let's look at the context here. We just jumped into verse 46. Uh, a marginalized young peasant girl named Mary, probably about 13 to 15 years old, she's visited by an angel who tells her that she's going to bear God's long-awaited king. That's Luke 1, 32 to 33. And so, yes, the answer to the question, did Mary, Mary, did you know, is yes, she did know. Uh, some things, okay? And her relative Elizabeth also had miraculously conceived in verse 36. Mary is stunned, no doubt, but the unexpected grace of God runs to her relative Elizabeth in verse 39. And uh, by the way, after 400 years of silence, like, between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, where does God show up after 400 years? Where does he finally show up? to two obscure women, one old and barren, Elizabeth, and one young and virginal in Mary. And Mary is so dazzled by this grace, she bursts into joyful song. And also, when you, when you read these verses here, what a girl of the word Mary is. Uh, there are echoes of Hannah's song in 1 Samuel, but her song when I was looking through this here, her song either quotes from or alludes to verses from 11 Old Testament books in these verses. Right. Mary tried to put virtually the whole Bible into this song here. And she doesn't even have a personal copy of the scriptures like we do. Right? And here she is. She, she hears the word read and she's internalized it. And so there's a lot here. And I had planned to preach this whole section but then God just kind of put his hand on and stopped me at verse 49. And so I'm just going to give you what, where he stopped me. And so we're just going to look at 46 to 49, really. Um, and there was so much here. There was so much here. Um, and so we're, we're going to look at just those three verses. So how does Mary end up singing and have this, this full of joy kind of reaction here. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, verse 46. Well, think about her circumstances for a second. 
Here she is going about her life, teenager, normal longings uh, of a husband and family and then that culture. Uh, God interrupts it. And then none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. Uh, Take note of this. God's greatest doings in our life will be the undoing of our plans. Look at Mary. The greatest event in history is not going to happen to her life, but it's going to completely undo all of her plans. God's plan that ended up in her joy meant a complete upheaval of her life. Think about it. First of all, her reputation is destroyed. Teenage girl, pregnant, out of wedlock, serious scandal. Add to the fact she and Joseph are engaged and not living together, so people knew the baby wasn't his. And then the angel doesn't even tell Joseph about what's going on until several months later. Did you know that? So he's heartbroken. And then she's also very, very poor. Later in Luke 2, we find the couple bringing doves to the temple. That's what poor people brought if they couldn't afford a lamb. So let's Luke 2, 22. She's, she's not just poor. She's the poorest of the poor. And then, right, that wasn't enough. She's not even told, how is this all going to work out? She's, how are you going to have this kid? And how are you going to explain it to people without people thinking you get around? She's got a stained reputation. She's financially poor. She's really young. And she's a woman. And that culture, do you know Jewish men prayed every morning? They thanked God that they weren't a Gentile. And then they thanked God they weren't born a woman. That's, that was the culture. So, she's got no status, no position, no reputation, no money. She's from an insignificant town called Nazareth. And then she's engaged to this guy named Joseph. He's just a common laborer. And then she's she's nothing. She's zero according to the world standards. And now on top of that, this news. This is not what she signed up for. Why did God interrupt her life like this? See, knowing God doesn't mean your life's going to get easier. It may mean your life's going to get harder. And the only explanation for your existence is the grace of God. God's greatest doings of our life will often undo us. Well, God is going to give you too much more than you can handle. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. That's not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. Not even in Hesitations chapter 3. It's not there. Right? God, of course he'll give you more than you can handle. Because if you can handle it, why do you need him? He'll put you in a place where you, you need him. And the only explanation is the grace of God. How do you feel about this, Mary? Well, let's let her talk here. But verse 46 and 47. I'm sure she's, she's terrified. Earlier she says... She was full of terror when the angel shows up. But here, look what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is poetry. So those lines, those two lines go together. My soul, my spirit, same thing. She just means in in, um, New Testament language, spirit, soul, Even in Old Testament language, it's the center of your being. My total self, all that I am, magnifies and praises the Lord. What, Mary? Your life's just ruined, lady. 
So it seems. How can you rejoice? See what she's saying? She's saying, I don't have no money. I don't have status. I don't have position. I don't even have a reputation. I'm from an unknown town. And the only thing I have going for me is that I have a God who's seen me. And he saved me. And he's with me. And we know she's actually carrying Christ himself. Her whole self has been personally captured by God. God was all that she had. And if she stood here this morning, she would say, you know what? I didn't realize he's all that I needed until he was all that I had. And she experiences joy, right? Rejoices. Do you see how joy works? She doesn't go looking around for joy, when God bursts into our lives from the outside in, joy bursts out of our heart from the inside out. That's how that works. When God shows up, the outside in, joy bursts out from our heart, inside out. And magnify, that word is to make large. And, he, and there's a connection here, magnifies, and then she says rejoices. And that, that makes sense because you always magnify what you rejoice in. Think about it. Whether it's your team winning, you rejoice in that. What do you do? You magnify. You put it all over social media. You call it dessert. You do it. (laughs) Fantastic, a fantastic sunrise. Fabulous vacation. We always magnify what we rejoice in. And Mary says, I'm going to find my joy. She finds her joy in what? In God. (laughs) That's it. Because that's all she had. And this is very, very personal for her. Did you see how many personal pronouns? There's here, my soul, my spirit, my savior. Generations are going to call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me, verse 49. This is very, very personal for her. This has happened to her. Something happened to her. Uh, Remember the lines of the, another great Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. It starts like, it says like, it says this line here. Uh, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Uh, That just means we just, the world's messed up and we keep messing things up and we're longing for things to get better. That's the word pining. But then the next line, read it, look at it. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. See, we're all looking for our soul to feel worth. The hymn writer is saying, no, no, only when he appears, when he shows up, that's when our soul feels its worth. And Mary experiences her soul finding its worth in God alone. And notice the circumstances haven't changed. She's still, she still has to deal with this pregnancy, and she's probably going to be gossiped about for the rest of her life. There was even a tradition that said even decades later, rumors were going around, even in Jesus when in his 20s and 30s, the rumors were that Mary was actually impregnated by a Roman soldier. Right? So it's not like, oh, after Christmas, she was fine. Right? No, all her life, she's going to have to face this. Right? Her circumstances never changed. So what does this teach us about joy? How does she have joy then? Joy is not the absence of trouble and pain. It's the presence of Jesus. It's presence of Jesus and his grace in the midst of it. In the midst of it. Uh, Look at verse 48. For, she gives you the reason. That's a word of 
that, that implies cause or the reason she magnifies and rejoices. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. See, the reason she rejoices in God, magnifies the Lord, is because she's amazed at his grace. Right? He looked, that word looked, to look upon with concern or tenderness. She wasn't looking for God, but God saw her. And he wasn't disgusted at what he saw. He actually poured out his love and favor despite her. And God did this for her. And that's what she's amazed about. For me? Did you say me? For me? She's thinking about all of the Old Testament history here. She's looking down the corridors of time, remembering the ancient promises to Abraham, all the times God delivered his people from the past, all of his mighty deeds. And in the middle of it, she says, the same God, this God loved me, me. God spent centuries preparing for this day, and he's going to save the world through this simple, poor, teenage, still unwed girl. For me, for me. See, one of the marks that you know you are a true follower of Jesus Christ is that you are astonished that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Wonder always accompanies grace. Me, who, me is always something you are asking. Right? What is Christianity? Tim Keller says this. He uses this example. If you think Christianity is mainly going to church, singing some songs, believing a certain creed, living a certain kind of life, being nice, avoiding this, avoiding that, there will be no sense of wonder in your life or surprise that you're a believer. And if someone asks you, asks you if you are a Christian, you'll say, of course. Of course I am. My grandmother was one. And my dad, my dad used to take me, and now I want to take my kids, and I love Christmas, and I love the music, it's so sweet, and I, it's hard work, but I'm doing it. See, if that's your view, if Christianity, if that's your view, Christianity is something done by you. So there's no astonishment or wonder at being a Christian. However, Christianity is not something done by you, New River. Christianity is something done for you. Amen. Something done to you. Something done in you. That's what Christianity is. So as a result, there is a constant note of surprise and wonder. That's how you know. You're always amazed. And so are you a Christian? If you're like, <laughs> Crazy, right? <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought I am a miracle? I don't know where I would be today if he hadn't looked on me, if he hadn't saved me. Do you know how many times I messed it up? Do you know how versatile my stupidity is? <laughs> Do you know all the different ways that I find Things to do dumb and stupid ways that I do it, right? Who would have thought someone like me would know a God like this? Right. I did nothing to deserve it, yet he, he did it, and here I am. And like the hymn writer says, Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. 
But today, I want to ask you, do you know this Christ as your Savior personally? Is this something done to you? Has, is there something done that happened in you? Going to church, a church building is not going to make you a follower of Jesus. Being born in a Christian family doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. He does not have grandchildren. He has children. To those who received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Do you know him personally? Can you say he has saved me? Can you say there was a time I was lost, but he burst into my life from the outside in, and joy burst from my heart inside out? If that's not you today, and you're like, that hasn't happened to me today, today's the day of your salvation. Jesus invites you to himself. He looks upon you with love if you would open your heart to him. And so what happens? God shows up from the outside in. Joy bursts out, right, from the inside out because of the presence of Jesus. And then our lives are shaken upside down. Our lives are shaken upside down. Look at verse 48. From now on, behold, from now on, and this was a new discovery for me as I was studying this week. From now on, in the Gospel of Luke, actually repeated several times. Did you know that? From now on. Whenever Luke uses it, it always signals an important shift happening. For example, Luke 5.10, Jesus said to Simon, from now on, you'll be catching men. Luke 22.18, there's several others, I'll just give you these two. For Jesus speaking says, for I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now God shows up in Mary's life and he says, it's a from now on situation now. Everything's going to change, Mary, from now on. See, when Jesus shows up into your life, this is another way you know you're a follower of Christ. Being a follower of Christ is not an add-on to your life. Right? It's life. It's life. He's not a multivitamin you take on Sunday morning. Right? He's, he's your blood. He's, he's, so it's always so not, hey, hey, it's Sunday, I got my green smoothie over here, and got my little inspiration from church over here, and I'm good to go for the week, and uh-uh, that is not being a follower of Christ, because once you meet him, it's from now on, I, have, I got your life. I want your life 24-7, 365 days a year. Becoming a, so you're not, it's not like signing up for a gym, like we're not, it's not a living well program where, you know, you help you flourish, realize your potential. He's not, a, he's not another vendor supplying spiritual services you engage as long as it meets your needs at a reasonable cost. He, unfortunately, a lot of who Jesus is presented as today, if you watch TV and all over the internet, he's a half cheerleader, half life coach. Yeah. He's all about self-fulfillment, self-accomplishment, he exists for your personal happiness. God is this giant pinata, and faith is this whacking stick, and you, you got to keep whacking God with enough faith, and all the goodies are going to fall out, and your arms eventually, your arm falls out, and then eventually people end up with the pinata on their head, and no candy. God is not the pinata. He's the candy. He's the candy in the piñata. And Advent, that's what Advent says. Advent says, listen, stop whacking. Like, 
I burst open heaven for you, and, and I've fallen out, and I have given, him, given myself to you. Give myself to you. And so from now on, thank you, Lord, you gave us yourself. He says, my king, but that means my kingdom comes. And if my kingdom comes, your kingdom's got to go. Your kingdom's got to go. He's not a part-time handyman. So that's some of us, he's a part-time handyman waiting for a call when something needs fixing. He wants, he's a spare tire you take out when you fall apart. He, he's not that. No, he's the steering wheel, right? He's the steering wheel. So when he shows up, he's no life coach. He's no cheerleader. He's no part-time handyman. He comes as the Lord, and he comes with a bulldozer, and he kickstarts a long process of deconstruction and reconstruction of our lives. He takes over, and he's moving in. Is this the God you want? He's moving in, and he's taking over. He's already got his underwear and his socks in the drawer. His tool belt is already on. He takes over from now on. Major shift happens. He takes over. Has that happened to you? I was 17 years old. Devout altar boy. I did not know Jesus. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. And one day, this preacher from India shows up, and he tells my family that Jesus, that I thought I knew, is more than a picture in a stained glass window, more than a painting on a wall, more than a Sunday school story, or a cosmic Santa Claus grandfather whatever in the sky, that he was the living God, and that he wanted a relationship with me and my family, and not religion. And up to that point, we were all caught up in religion. Man, we did that every week. We never missed a Sunday. I was in the altar every Sunday and, one, and did our Sunday thing. But then we would come home, and our home was hell. And that's how you know Jesus isn't the Lord of your life. Our home, our home was hell. My dad had a bad temper, and alcohol was always around. And then when alcohol and temper, you put it together... And then he has, he's battling illness. He's got arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. All of that together, and it's not a good situation. Right. We had a nice little board I still remember on our, on our dining room. It said, Jesus is the head of this house. That was a joke. That was a joke. But then one night, on July the 4th, from now on, happened. Fireworks are going off outside. This preacher gets up and shares about Jesus and his love. And that night, Jesus Christ showed up in my house. And he saw us in our pride and our sin, had compassion on us. And my father and my mother, and my sister a month later, but in me, accepted Christ the same night. He came to my house. And that, he's the head of the house, wasn't a board on the, on the wall anymore. That was the, that was the, the from now on statement over our whole house. Right. From now on. From now on, this family that was far away is mine now. From now on, this family tied up with the spirit of religion is broken in Jesus' name. And from now on, they know me and they, they will serve me. Right. From now on. From now on. And I was thinking about this I, this past Thanksgiving. Um, and I've shared this with some of you. 
My dad had many, many strained relationships in his family. A lot of it was due to his temper. But that first Thanksgiving, when uh, we all came to Christ, uh, all of the cousins, all of his family, extended family, were all gathered together. This is in New York. Um, and they looked at him and they said, hey, can you, can you say uh, grace for the food? And he said, well, before I do, I got to say something. He got down on his arthritic knees. I knew he was in pain. And he looked at all of his family that he had hurt. And he said, Jesus has saved me. He has come to my house. And I'm no longer my own. Christ has forgiven me completely. So I need to ask you all for forgiveness for the way I've treated you. Please forgive me. For a 40-something-year-old Indian man, so in our culture, well, you don't apologize ever, but especially if you're older and you probably will be like, oh, my culture too, right? For a 40-something-year-old, this, this Indian man to get down on his knees in front of his whole family and ask for forgiveness the only explanation, friends, is God came. And I looked at my sister and I said, we're never going to be the same, are we? <laughs> nope. Jesus took over the home. He took, he took it all. He, he, took, he took everything. My dad was no longer a slave to anger and the God who can melt the leper, who could melt the heart of stone, cleanse the leper spots, can turn a lion-tempered man into a lamb. Miracles happen. He saw us and he loved us and he moved in and he said, from now on, you are mine. I define you now. My kingdom, my values, my ways. And then Mary's posture says, what's her posture? She says, my, I am your servant, verse 48. His servant. Earlier in verse 38, she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, the only response from us when we meet the real God of the universe is surrender. Right? Surrender is the pathway to joy. See, Christian faith is not a negotiation. It's a surrender. It's a surrender. And that means you take your hands off of your life and you surrender to him. You surrender to him. That's where joy, joy will come your way because you will have him and he is the candy in the pinata and he will give you that joy because your heart was completely surrendered to the God that you were made for. I'll share one more story about my dad here. He had really, really bad arthritis, like I said. He ended up on disability for most of his life and he was in constant, constant, really, really bad pain. And we were always praying for his healing, always. And one, one summer, I came home from college. I was in Chicago, came home to New York. I noticed in the family prayer time, we didn't pray for his healing anymore. I went, to his, I went to my dad and I said, you stopped praying for healing, dad? He said, no, no. On some really, really hard days I do, <laughs> I pray for full healing, but I usually don't. I said, why? Never forgot his reply. He said, son, with every shooting pain, I cry out to Jesus. I just run into his arms and I feel his presence. And so since this happens with every pain, 
Now I'm wondering if this is a gift and not a burden. Because you know what? At the end of the day, all I really need is his presence. That there's nothing greater than tasting and knowing and feeling and sensing his love. You see what, he's, see what he did there? He took his hands, literally, off of his life. Right? He says, as long as I have you, Lord, my life is yours, so have your way. Have your way. Today's arthritis is gone because he's with Jesus. But that conversation never, ever, ever left me. I don't know about you, loved ones, but what I need is I need God to break in into my life today. What Mary teaches me here is that there's only one place where my soul can feel its worth, where my longings are met, and that's at the feet of Jesus. That's at the feet of Jesus. What I need is not a longer to-do list. What I need is help. What I need is for my soul to feel its worth. And it cannot be attached to trying harder to be enough. There are so many voices that says you got to earn your worth. Right? How successful you are. How great your marriage is. This is us all week. All week long. Here we are on this treadmill. Successful you are. How great your marriage is. What your marital status should be. How much money you have. How great your retirement options are. How successful your children or your grandchildren are. and How attractive or well-rounded you are. If you have or have not managed to get older without looking as though you've aged. Right? If you work out enough. If you eat right. If you're not doing enough with what you've been given. This is all week, right? If your parents are happy with you and on and and on and on, and Jesus says, end it, end the running. The soul feels its worth at the feet of Jesus. And Mary understood that what qualifies us for God's grace isn't our goodness. What qualifies us for God's grace is nothing more than our need for God's grace. So when Mary sings here, Look what she says. She doesn't say, God looked on favor with me because I did my quiet time and my Bible knowledge and all my activism. And, and look, I finally tried so hard and I finally became the ideal version of myself and I'm not afraid anymore and I got it all together and I'm healed. And No, no. He looked on the humble estate, estate of his servant. That means her nothingness. Her nothingness. But isn't that what you and I try to constantly curse all week long? Our lowliness. We obsess about our flaws and our shortcomings. We berate ourselves constantly for our failings and defects of character, for not trying hard enough to be some ideal version of me. And the good news is that in all of our failings and our weaknesses and mistakes are God's entry points. That's where he, he meets us. It's our lowliness and our humility, not our strength, where God does his best work. Here we are running on the treadmill for accomplishments and respect and success, and God of the universe shows up in our nothingness. At the dead end, we find ourselves. That's where he shows up. Mary surrenders. Mary surrenders. But you know what? Mary didn't know something. She didn't know that her son would have a deeper surrender. Later on in Luke, later on in Luke, her son will be in a garden and he would take his hands off of his life too. 
He's in a garden about to face greater shame and disgrace for my sin. And he says, not my will, but yours. He takes his hand off his life. He was going to the cross for our sins. And Paul says he took the form of a servant. Why? Because the treasure of heaven, knowing, wanting to make our souls know its worth, would give up at the cost of his life, plunge himself into darkness, and take the death we deserved. He took his hands off of his life and lost it and saved us. So now we can take the hands off of our life and give it to him. Amen? He is the joy of every longing heart. He is. And so this morning, as we come before him, Jesus says, you know the kind of person who qualifies for real joy? Listen to Mary. It's not the proud, but the humble. Not the mighty, but the weak. Not the first, but the last. Not the biggest, but the little. Not the most, but the least. Not the full, but the empty. Good news. Good news. When we find ourselves at the bottom, his grace flows downhill. We don't got to climb up into his grace. We collapse down into it. Amen. He is the pinata that has burst open and falls down towards us. And so, yes, with the, Christ, with the Christmas hymn writer, the only response to O Holy Night says, fall, fall on your knees in surrender. Fall on your knees in surrender before a God who loves you without caution, without measure, without concern for your pre-existing condition, in the middle of your unmet expectations and overwhelming disappointments and family obligations, your soul will find its worth. Your deepest longings find uh, it's met in Jesus Christ at his feet. And you may even burst into song if that happens. We're going to pray. The worship team, come on up. We're going to open up our altar here. Maybe that's where you're at. You're like, man, my soul needs to find its worth again. And Jesus says, will you take your hands off your life now? I don't want to be your half cheerleader, half life coach, half party, or uh, handyman. And, uh, I, I want to be Lord. I want it all. Take your hands off your life and put it in my hands. Nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. But my greatest doings will be your undoing. So stop running and fall into my arms. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message blesses you. For those interested in learning more about us, please visit us at newriverchurch.org. Thanks, and have a great week. Thank you.